Good morning. We are invited by God into a relationship with him where he will be with us. He will provide for us. He will protect us. He will sustain us. And ultimately, he will redeem us. And if we accept that invitation, that relationship with God will radically change the rest of our lives. My name is Ben Reynolds. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I haven't seen you in a minute, right? Uh, Calendar year 2020, I took a sabbatical year. And let me tell you what, 2020 and rest don't exactly seem like they go together, all right? Uh, Things did not go as planned. My family and I had had planned to, to travel uh, the world, to, to see lots of friends and family we don't get a chance to see, and these things did not happen. Our plans did not, did not go as planned, but here's what I'm here to testify to you today. God grew our immediate family. He grew me. He grew my trust in him, my faith in him, and he showed, he showed me things about myself, and he showed our family things about ourselves that we wouldn't have seen based on our plan. And so I'm here to testify today that God is good, God is faithful, and it's with that that trepidation and joy that I come this morning. We're going to continue our walk through Genesis, and I'm excited about it this morning. Our scene this morning opens with a murder plot. We need some music there, don't we? Opens with a a murder plot. Rebecca has helped Jacob deceive his dad. Isaac, right? He's, he's, he's received a blessing that was meant for Esau. Isaac didn't, didn't know. Um, and Esau, Jacob's older brother, he was supposed to receive that blessing, and he was kind of duped, right? He was left hanging. And so he's consoling himself. We saw at the end of last week, he's consoling himself with thoughts of murder. He said, I'm just going to murder Jacob. That'll make me feel better. And Rebecca, his mom, hears this, and she continues her scheming. Right and at the end of last week, as, as, Jacob walked, or as Jason walked us through, um, we saw at the end of, of chapter 27, um, Rebecca says, i got to get you out of here. I'm going to send you off to, to my brother Laban. Okay? And that's where we pick up our text this morning in Genesis 27. We'll start in verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my wife because of these Hittite women. That's a reference to Esau's wives, the Canaanites. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now that's that's a little different than she said to Jacob. She said, Jacob, I'm going to send you off. I'm going to send you off to Laban. What she's saying to Isaac here is, hey, we got to get him out of here to Laban and we got to get him a wife. And Jacob, or I'm sorry, Isaac agrees. Isaac called Jacob, start of chapter 28, and he blessed him and he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram and to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. This blessing is is now not under manipulation, right? This blessing is now out in the open. 
God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, so that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And Isaac sent Jacob away, and Jacob went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. All right, so Rebekah again intervenes. She says, We got to get you out of here. Then she appeals to her husband, Isaac. Isaac, we married and we're both from the line of Abraham. That's good. That's what God wants. So let's get, let's get Jacob out of here, but let's send him to, marry, to find a wife from this line. Rebecca's idea for preservation is to appeal to Isaac's piousness. Let's let him be like us, dear. Right? And so Isaac agrees. He says, go at once. And he blesses him and he sends him off. We should, we should stop right here. We should stop right here and zoom out for a minute. If you are reading Genesis to find morality, you're confused, right? If you are looking for characters that you say, hey, I just want to photocopy all their behavior and then let's go to brunch, like this isn't it for you. If you are reading Genesis for morality, it's like turning on the radio expecting smooth jazz and hearing heavy metal. Like it's not here, right? The major characters of Genesis are consistently shown as flawed people with wrong desires. Genesis is a tale of murder and deceit and manipulation. We've got Abraham who lied and said, this isn't my wife, it's my sister, because he was scared of what would happen. He abandoned his second wife and son. His wife, Sarah, attempted to fulfill God's promise of a child her own way and then laughed when God suggested another. Isaac followed his dad. He also lied about his wife and said, she's not my wife, she's my sister, because he was scared. He's obviously not managing his home well, as we see here with Jacob and Esau. And Rebekah, she took after Sarah. She fulfilled God's promise through her own, by deceiving her husband and implicating her son. And then we have Jacob and Esau, Jacob the manipulator, and Esau who's planning murder. Genesis is not a story about good people. Genesis is a story about God at work. God is at work in the midst of the chaos, the confusion, the sin, and the suffering of this narrative. Just like God formed mankind out of the dust of the ground in Genesis 2, God is now forming for himself a people for his own possession out of the line of Abraham. And he is going to execute his design to purify them and to multiply them, to fill the earth with them and to reconcile them to himself in the midst of or even in spite of man's sinful means. Let's see him at work here in our text. We'll continue on Genesis 28, pick it up in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And it gets better. 
Then behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Jacob leaves home. He goes off to Haran. This is in modern day Turkey. What the text doesn't tell us is that's about 500 miles away. That's from here to Washington, D.C. And it's not a planned trip. He goes immediately. He goes at once. And so he takes off here. He takes off towards Haran. And the text here says, he reached a certain place because the sun had set. He takes off, and whenever the sun goes down, he shuts it down for the night and grabs a rock for a pillow, right? The idea here is this place is random. It's not planned. It's a random place. It's just where he happened to be when the sun went down. And if we're honest with ourselves, Jacob isn't really made for this. I mean, Esau is the one that's the outdoorsman. He's the hunter. Jacob's a tent dweller, right? This isn't his wheelhouse. And yet he's the one that's charged with leaving home, leaving the provision of his family, the estate. He's in his young 40s. He's alone. And as he's there in the wilderness, he has this, this dream, this incredible dream. God speaks to him in a dream. He sees this, this ladder, others say this stairway coming down from heaven. And it's incredible. There are angels coming up and down from heaven. And the Lord appears. And the Lord blesses him. Well, look at that blessing for a minute. The first thing the Lord does is he gives his bona fides. He says, I am the Lord. I think Jacob knew. <laughs> I am I'm the Lord. And the next thing he does is says, I will, I will give you this land. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And then, he, and then he says, I know you don't have a wife yet, but here's what I'm going to promise. I'm going to multiply you. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And, and I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to send you out just as I've commanded. East, west, north, south. We've got them all covered. You're going everywhere. I'm going to anoint your lineage. Through you and your offspring will all nations be blessed. God says, Jacob, I want to have a relationship with you. I am with you. I'll protect you, Jacob. I'll keep you. And Jacob, I'm faithful. I will be with you, and I will not leave you until I've done what I promised I want you to think back for a minute to Genesis um, 8 and 9. Uh, I want you to think back to the, I'm sorry, Genesis 11, to the Tower of Babel. If you remember this, this picture of the Tower of, it's right after the flood. God has destroyed the earth with the flood and then God covenants with Noah and his sons. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's Genesis 9. Genesis 10, we get this lineage of, of Noah. And then in Genesis 11, we see these things that God's commanded begin to happen, 
right? People are, are multiplying. They're spreading out. Uh, society is progressing. It's growing. There's, there's technology. But, but here's what people say. Said, we don't really want to move anymore. We're kind of tired of this. Um, we like it here. We're, we're developing. So here's an idea. Let's take our technology and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We'll build this tower up to the heavens so that we can have a seat of power too. We'll build this, this thing and then God will hear us because we'll have a seat among the gods. This, this Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 is a picture of human effort to elevate uh, humanity to God's domain. The people there are saying, we're good enough, we're strong enough, doggone it, let's build a tower. And we'll be like the gods. This dream that, that God appears to in Genesis to Jacob is, is an image of a redeemed tower. Instead of people stopping and not wanting to fill the earth anymore, Jacob is he's on the run. Instead of technology being the means, Jacob's got nothing, not even a pillow. Instead of man going up to be among the gods, God is coming down to be with man. And instead of man wanting to separate and make a name for himself, God is bringing man into his family. Can you imagine where Jacob's head is right now? I lied to my dad. I blasphemed my God. I'm running away from my brother just trying to stay alive. And now God is talking to me. And he's not just talking, he's talking to me favorably. I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's, it's quite the opposite. And yet God is here at work. In Genesis, we see this idea of God blessing a lot. In the creation narrative, God blesses the birds and the fish. He blesses man. He blesses the seventh day. And calls it holy. We see God bless Noah and his family. And then we've seen God bless Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What's, what's up with this idea of God's blessing? Ultimately, God's blessing is God having relationship with something. And then bestowing favor on that thing. So for humans, to be blessed is to have a relationship with God, to be one of God's own people with all the benefits of having God in your life. So the relationship with God is the key part, it's the hub of the blessing. All these other things that we see in Scripture, these promises to Jacob, a, a promise of a family, a promise of wealth, a promise of a home, they're, they're kind of on the outside, but the, the hub, the center, they're all in relationship with God. So we see that the blessings aren't random. They're not like parade candy that just get thrown out to whoever is going to pick them up. Uh, but instead, they flow along relational lines. So God's blessing here to Jacob is, I am the Lord. I am. And Jacob, I will be with you. I want to have a relationship with you, Jacob. And this relationship will have future benefits. I'll protect you. My presence will bring life, fertility, a home, this legacy of future blessings. And, and Jacob, 
I am the source of this blessing. You see here, God provides it out of his goodness. Jacob only has a rock. And so the blessings flow from God, a holy God. Before this, God has been Jacob's grandpa's God. He was, he was Abraham's God. And then he was, he was Isaac's God. He was dad's God, right? But here we see God saying, I want to have a relationship with you, Jacob. It's personal. If we can stop for a minute. Parents, we want this, right? Parents, we, we want this to happen for us. We want to train up our kids in the way that we should go. They should go. We want to teach them scripture. We want to show them grace. But ultimately, we don't want the relationship with God to be ours. We want it to be theirs, don't we? And that's what's happening here. God is saying, I will be with you. Man, what a dream. And what a promise. So what do you do after a night like this? How do you respond to the Lord's invitation to be in a relationship? Let's see, Genesis 28. We'll pick it up in in verse 16 here. Jacob awoke from his sleep. And said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, And will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. The Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. God says, I am the Lord. And Jacob says, you are the Lord. I believe. I believe. And then he responds in fear. And he responds in awe. He responds in in, in worship. Um, I am in the metal recycling business. And a sermon of mine would not be complete without a scrap metal reference. And so here we go. This is it. right? In the olden days, steel was made with a blast furnace. Picture a a pot of soup, if you will, just on a really big scale. And the the molten metal is boiling in this pot of soup. And then to make more metal, you would put in new pieces of metal. And the the boiling pot would then warm up and then melt that metal. Today, more often, we use what's called an electric arc furnace. Here's what happens. Take this thing called a crucible. It's really a several hundred ton pot, all right? And we fill it up with dry, room temperature steel. This is shredded cars. This is old bridges and buildings, okay? And they put it up in this area, and then three electrodes are lowered into this area. And then, boom. Lightning strikes between the electrodes, It's incredible. The earth rumbles legitimately in the steel mill. The sound is insane. And the steel is instantaneously molten. 
I watched this from 300 yards away behind multiple layers of bulletproof glass and was still terrified. (laughs) Terrified. It is an awesome display of power and control, right? It is fruitful and yet it is terrifying. This is Jacob's response. Full of fear, full of awe, full of wonder, full of worship. He is blown away by God's display. So what else does he do? He sets up his pillow, this rock, right? He sets it up as a, as a, um, a place of worship to remember what God has done. And he makes a vow of commitment. Let's look at that for a minute. He says, since God, I'm sorry, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. The Lord shall be my God. That sounds kind of like an if-then statement to us. That's not the way this reads at all. He is, he is recounting God's promises that affirm that he will be his God. So it sounds better this way. Since the Lord will be with me, since the Lord will keep me and provide for me and for, protect me as he's already promised, he'll be my God. I'll worship him. The last thing we see here in the text is he gives. He gives. He recognizes that God's blessing is not his. And so he gives a a full tenth, a tithe to the Lord. Now the rhythm here that Jacob shows us is right. It's right. It's notable. Jacob says, since God has invited invited me into a relationship... It will inform my response. I believe. I say, you are God. I worship. Make a commitment. I'll be faithful. And all that I have that you gave me is yours. My resources, my lifestyle, it's yours. God's invitation for relationship with Jacob, this this relationship that wasn't earned, It grows as the biblical narrative continues. God's promise of of blessing the whole earth through Jacob's line happens ultimately, and it's fulfilled in Jesus. Titus 2 tells us that the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It literally appeared. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us, appeared and brought salvation for all people. Romans 10 Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall call that started with a line of people now is available because of and through Jesus. We are holy God for him to be our God and for with all the blessings and the benefits that flow out of life. There are two um, that this gets distorted or goes wrong in the human life. Areas that this, this gets distorted. The first is this. When we put value on gifts and blessings that are provided by God, instead of placing the value in the relationship with God. When we put, put value on the gifts and the blessings provided by God, instead of valuing the relationship that we have with God. As I think about this, I think about a child who loves his grandma. He loves his grandma. And when you ask him, 
Why do you love your grandma? He says, man, there is a candy bowl on the kitchen counter, and I can have it whenever I want. And you know what? When the, when the Christmas catalog, that's a dated reference, I know. When the Christmas catalog comes, I get to circle some things, and, and they show up as presents. I love my grandma. Now, grandma is wise. Grandma has, a di- has the ability for dynamic relationship. Grandma has unconditional love. But if we're honest with ourselves, the kid loves the candy bowl, right? The kid loves the wrapping paper. When we devalue our relationship with God and emphasize the value on what God provides, we distort the relationship that he invites us into. Yes, God provides all sorts of other things. Here we see him promise Jacob a spouse, fertility, land, riches, influence. But these things flow out of the relationship with God. Check in with your prayer life for a minute. Check in with your prayer life for a minute. Do you spend more time glorifying God for who he is and what he's done? Do you spend time delighting in his character and enjoying him, worshiping him? Or is your prayer life primarily a a Christian Christmas wish list of the things you'd like to have? If that's the case for you, repent. Stop. Worship God for who he is, what he's extended to you, a relationship, a relationship not what you need. Ask him to change you. Jacob in our text sets up this this stone as a pillar to remember what God has done, right? He sets this stone up as a pillar to remember what God has done. Church, spend time remembering God's faithfulness. Practice this. Practice telling your friends and your family. Make it normal to tell each other how God has been faithful, how God is good, Scripture says, write it on your doorposts. Figure out ways to make it prominent. Hey, this is who God is. This is what he has done. We worship him. The story of Job gives us a better way. In the Bible, Job has seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. You get the idea, right? Scripture says he was the greatest of all people in the East. Think Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, that kind of guy. And God allows Satan to tempt Job because Job is a righteous man. And so in one day, Satan takes all of the things that Job has away. Having lost every external token of his blessedness, all that God has provided for him, you know what Job did? Same thing as Jacob. He arose and he worshiped God. The gift of relationship with God was enough for Job. He worshiped God in gratitude. And that's where we get this scripture. The Lord has taken, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The greatest blessing that we can have is a relationship with God and not what he can give. The second place we see this this invitation distorted is this. 
when we endeavor to earn a relationship with God, we endeavor to earn the blessings and the rights and the privileges that come with it. If we're honest with ourselves, this is the spirit of the people that built the Tower of Babel, isn't it? Where a people wanting to create a seat at the table and efforting to get near God so they would hear him. And when we do this, instead of our relationship with God, the why, driving the actions of worship and following God, the what leads, right? Following God's commands, take the lead. They are where place people start. I'm reminded of the rich young ruler Jesus talks about in Luke 18. Listen for the, the spirit of how he starts his questioning. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, do you know the law? Yep, I got it. I got the law. I do that thing. Okay? And Jesus says, what? One more thing. Sell all that you have. Distribute it to the poor. Come and follow me. Your treasure will be in heaven. The spirit of this ruler was, I've got the rules down, i got the money. Tell me again what I have to do to have a relationship with God. Jesus asks the spirit of his question, do you treasure the relationship with God more than your money? And the ruler walks away sad. Church, hear me clearly. I am not advocating. I am not telling you not to follow God's commands. That is not happening here. You did not hear that from me. Instead, I'm warning you. I'm warning you, there are scribes and Pharisees that are separated forever from God because they followed God's commands too, but they never knew God. They never had a relationship with him. Family, I want you to wrestle with this one. Please, please. Until this time, did did Jacob have a relationship with God? I don't really know. He was God-adjacent. God was the God of Abraham. God was the God of Isaac. He was informed by it for sure. What we do know is this. Genesis 28, God says to Jacob, I will be your God. Jacob says, the Lord will be my God. I believe we have a relationship. Family, I want us to assess our Christian disciplines. Assess your Christian disciplines. Are they a response to a relationship with God? Or are they fueled by an engine of shoulds and supposed tos? Are your Christian disciplines a response to a relationship with God? Or are they fueled and motivated by shoulds and supposed tos? If so, ask God to show you. Plead with the Spirit to convict you. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop praying to God. Don't stop meeting with your church family. Instead, ask God to change your motivations. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about his father, our father, God, right? And he says this, you're evil, and yet if your son asks for bread, do you give him a stone? Of course not. If he asks for fish, do you give him a snake? No way. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you ask God to change your motivations, he is good and faithful to do it. I'm here to testify to that. Okay? Yeah. Praise God. Today, if you haven't accepted God's invitation into a relationship with him, I challenge you to consider it. I challenge you. 
Don't be like Esau. Esau in our text saw what was good. He saw that it was good to go marry someone from the line of Abraham. Did he repent? No, he doubled down. He, he went and married Ishmael's daughter. Ishmael, who was a donkey of a man, had a daughter. There's a joke in there somewhere. He chose spite instead of repentance. I challenge you to ask God if he wants a relationship with you. I challenge you to ask God if he'll accept you as you are. I challenge you to wrestle with this undeserved invitation he offers for him to be your God and you to be his. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are, you are the Lord. You're the creator of all, the sustainer of all. God, you are all-powerful. You are holy. Who can compare? This concept of a, of a holy and a powerful and a perfect God coming down from your throne above to offer us a relationship with you, it's too much to comprehend, God. And, and, and like Jacob, we are filled with fear and awe. Your word reminds us, God, that your people are like worms, Isaiah 41, and yet you've redeemed us by your grace and invited us in. How wonderful are your ways. God, we worship you. Father, this morning I ask that you would show us where we value your blessings more than you. God, would you lead us to repentance? We declare that you are God and we are your people. This morning, God, would you show us where we are trying to earn our way into relationship with you or earn something we already have? Father, we confess together that we cannot earn your grace, yet you've freely given it to us. Would you help us to believe that you have chosen us and to trust you as our gracious Father? And Lord, this morning, for those who haven't yet accepted your invitation into relationship, Father, I pray that you would treat them like Jacob. Would you speak to them, God? Would you call them to yourself? Would you display your power in a way that cannot be denied? God, would you show your power by adopting the cast off, by redeeming the adulterer, by giving new life to the murderer, by building a family that reflects your glory? God, would you help us to be a people that believe in you, that remember what you've done, that worships you for it, and that gives joyfully of all our resources? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.